0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Father, the line in that song rings true for all of us in this room, that we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it prone to leave the God that we love. But I love that next line that says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Because the reality is, many of us think that we are the 99 sheep that would have stayed, but we're that one that always strays away. 2019 has been filled with moments of us wandering from the God that we loved. But one of the things I love about the perseverance of the saints is that When we wander, God pursues. Say that again, Lord. When we wander, God pursues. And God, I thank you for pursuing us because oftentimes, God, when you love us, we don't love you the same, but Father, help us. Help us to appreciate a God that says, none can pluck them out of my hand. Help us to appreciate a God that pursues us and runs after us and chases us when we chase after things that are not of you. God, we thank you. Thank you, oh God, for taking our heart and sealing it. And that last line says, seal it in the courts above. That means, oh God, when you saved us, we are eternally saved. Well, that is the greatest miracle I could ever think of is not just the fact that you saved me, but that I'm still saved. God, I thank you, oh God, for binding this wandering heart and bringing it back to you. Thank you for being faithful to us when we're not faithful to you. Thank you for being loyal to us when we are disloyal to you. Thank you for pursuing us when we don't pursue you. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it. Seal it in thy courts above it's in Christ's name we give glory let everybody say amen Amen. man I am grateful to serve a God that's that pursues us the way that he does if you're honest in this room 2019 has been filled with moments where you tried to stray away from God but I love God because you never can get too far from him he might let you out there for a little bit but at some point he always brings us he brings us back and that ain't nothing but grace because a holy God really should just let you go but he doesn't. He constantly pursues us. Psalm 107 says it this way. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That is why we gather here uh, today on this uh, Sunday before Christmas. We gather to celebrate the love that God has bestowed upon us. Let me join everybody else that has already said Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys. I am certainly in the the Christmas spirit. Uh, I'm a little late. We just got a tree this week. Uh, but never, nevertheless, listen, Thanksgiving fell late. That's all it was. So uh, I, I'm certainly in the Christmas spirit. We had a time in here on Friday night. It was lit. And man, our Christmas karaoke is, um, is something special. I do got some issues with the, the, the winner, the, the Nigerian group. I got issues. Everybody that was in the Nigerian group that, that that won, can you just just raise your hand real quick? <laughs> okay, there, there's somebody in the group that wasn't Nigerian though. Yeah, Ty Ty, where Ty, where you from? What what tribe you in? You from Halsey Street? All right, you from Bed Stuy? So I got issues. Not only that, but my my second issue is praise God. Can we thank God for Ayo? Ayo, I mean, she she coordinated everything. She made sure the food was in place, the decorations and uh, she set up everything. So praise God for her. But I got issues with her as well, because she's Nigerian. And so she picked the group that she felt comfortable with. And I'm saying we had I mean, Wendell did his thing. He left my group, but he did his thing. Garmin showed up well this year. Last year I was he was a little shaky, but <laughs> listen, next year, make sure, you know, one of the things I love about Christmas is it comes every year. So next year, make sure y'all are at our Christmas party. Uh shout out to Tracy for for running and holding down the hosting and Brad. It ain't no party without Brad. I'm just, yeah. just saying. But praise God for for having fun. I, I love, you know, our, our church is uh it's filled with millennials, and it's always good when we just come in and just have fun. We ain't got to go to the club to have fun. Man, we can come to the church and have the same amount of fun. I mean, I personally was doing the wobble right up here, and now it's an altar. See how God does? God knows how to flip the space. All right, grab your Bibles before I say something I'm going to get in trouble for. Meet me in the first book of the New Testament. All right, Matthew. Hope y'all enjoyed Dr. Mason last week. All right, Matthew chapter 1. Do me a favor, don't check out on your boy. Uh, it's a lot of names. Y'all, y'all know we skip over chapter 1 when we read it. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadad, and Amenadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse. Underline verse six. It's very important. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Notice it does not name Bathsheba. It calls her the wife of Uriah. Verse seven. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah and Abijah, the father of Asaph and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham. and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Y'all know y'all would have skipped by now. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. That is also important. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim. and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matin, and Matin, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Please underline verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Skip down to verse 21. and She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins, lifting up that last part for he, meaning Jesus, will save his people from their sins. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. I just want you all to make note that I handled those names like a grown man. Make note real quick. Man, I practiced this morning. I want to preach today from the topic entitled The Stained Lineage of Christmas the stained lineage of Christmas. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, this morning, we are grateful for Jesus. I know it's a cliche, but nevertheless, it rings true that Jesus really is the reason for the season. And so Father, we look to him this morning to meet us in a passage full of names. See, that's how powerful your word is, Lord. You said that there, there's not a scripture that is not as breathed out by you. So we believe it's something here for us. So, Father, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? I thank you for every single person that's in this room, every believer. We are grateful. We pray that they would see the Christmas story a little differently today. And for the one that doesn't know you, we are thankful that they are here, Lord. Pray, oh God, that you would save them today. How dope would it be, God, if you save somebody from a genealogy? Father, you are powerful and you are, are, are mighty to save and you can do that. And so, Father, would you do that today for your glory, for your honor, for the renown of your name? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The stained lineage of Christmas. I looked at a survey that Ancestry.com did. They polled over 2000 people that were statistical representatives uh, of the population, the U.S. population. And they asked them this one question to name the first and last name of all four grandparents, not great-grandparents, grandparents. And to my surprise, when I saw the results, one-third of Americans could not name all four of their grandparents. Now, before you say that's crazy, I guarantee you half of this room can't name all four of their grandparents for many reasons. Some of you grew up with a single-parent home. And you don't know that side of the family. Uh, I found that one of the main reasons that people can't name their uh, grandparents is because the way we understand lineage is an oral tra- uh, a tradition. In other words, many of us know nicknames, not actual names. In fact, when I was looking at the survey, it was like people was writing on their papa and nana. Or if you watch Red Table Talk, Gammy. And, and so we, we know our, our uh, grandparents by their names. And this uh, stat really suggested a couple of things for me. Number one, that you and I in this room are one to two generations away from completely being forgotten. Can you imagine that? This is why it's important to leave legacy. This is why it's important to make an imprint while you are here and and to make sure that you have character and integrity while you are here because one or two generations later, forget grandparents. Some of us can't, definitely can't name great grandparents and great great grandparents and great 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 grandparents. And what I love about the passage before us is. It shows us that it's important to write down a family tree and preserve it. I remember growing up and I had friends that used to do that in my my family. We didn't do that. I just don't know a lot of my family. And uh, my friends had family trees in their house where you could actually see uh, where the family comes from. And this is why many of us are running to Ancestry.com and other websites like it, because we don't know. We don't know our family history, especially African-Americans. Because it was stripped away from us, we we don't know past a certain point, but it's important to make sure that we write those names down. I love Matthew because that's what he does. Matthew is going to write down the lineage of Jesus Christ, and he's going to give us all of these names and some of these names you knew and some of these names you didn't know. But the Christmas story for Matthew starts with the genealogy. Now, what's interesting is if you compare Matthew's account of the Christmas story John's account of the Christmas story, they're drastically different. Stay with me. John does not start the Christmas story by giving us the human side of Jesus. John starts the Christmas story by giving us Christ's deity. Don't miss this. John chapter one, he ain't talking about mangers. John chapter one, he ain't talking about Mary. He doesn't even talk about a baby in John chapter one. In John chapter one, he he starts it like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He jumps to verse 14 and says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only father, full of grace and truth. John has no time to deal with the human side of Jesus. He says that baby in a manger is God. John is very clear that the baby that is in the manger did not show up in the book of Matthew, but the baby in the manger showed up in Genesis 1-1. Before all time, Jesus already was. We get to celebrate the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but you've got to understand before he put on flesh and blood, John said he already was here. So, so John's account is drastically different. Matthew's account is the human side. Matthew says, yes, the baby in the manger is fully God, but I got to prove that he's fully man, too. Why? Because he has to be fully God because only God can appease God. And so the sacrifice had to be perfect and only God is perfect. But he also had to be man because it is man that owes the sacrifice. So Matthew says, I'm going to prove that Jesus is fully man. And how am I going to prove it? I'm going to give you his lineage. I'm going to give you his bloodline. I'm going to tell you about His ancestors. And I love this because in the names that he names, there's a bunch of unlikely people to be used by God. Let me say it another way. There's a bunch of people that should not have made the list to be in the royal bloodline of Jesus, the Christ. And you don't even got to look in the genealogy to see people that were unworthy to be in Jesus family. All you got to do is look at the name of the person that wrote the book. And you see, y'all are millennials. Y'all got your phones, but I carry a physical copy with me. And the the biggest name on this page says Matthew. See, we run over the author. You got to understand that even Matthew isn't worthy to write about Jesus. Even Matthew is not worthy to tell us the Christmas story. Why? Because Matthew himself, before he met Jesus, was a sinner. In fact, not just a sinner. Do you know that Matthew was a tax collector? See, many people don't understand Uh, How hated tax collectors were. And if you got any background in church or you have any like, you know, history, you'll know that tax collectors in Israel were hated. They were deeply despised and they were despised really for two reasons. Number one, the business of collecting taxes was inherently corrupt. Stay with me. In ancient times in Israel, if you were a Jew and you became a tax collector, which you really bought the right to collect taxes, what you would do is you were collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And so the Roman government would require that you pay twenty dollars and they would go and the tax collectors would collect 30 and they would give 20 to Rome and pocket 10. And nobody could do anything about it. So they were thieves. But they were not only thieves. That is not the only reason that they were hated. Y'all still with me? The second reason they were hated was because of who they were collecting taxes for. You got to understand something about the Roman government and the Roman army in ancient times in the first century. They were a brutal regime. I mean, literally, if you were taking uh, the road that led up to Rome on the road would have been crosses. And on the crosses would have been dead bodies. It would have been women and children and husbands and families. And the one sign that Rome was sending everybody that was coming in was you mess with Rome and that's what happens to you. Not only that, but the army was so massive, they would literally walk into the house of anybody in Israel, bust down the house and were able to rape your wife and your daughter. And there was nothing you could do about it. So understand something. The question then is, how are tax co- how, uh, why are tax, coll- tax collectors so hated? Here's why. Because how do you fund a massive army? How do you feed a massive army? How do you supply weapons for a massive army like Rome? Here's how. Taxes. And so the taxes they were collecting were going to a regime. You were collecting taxes to further fund a oppressor that would walk into my house and rape my wife. And I had to give you the taxes or else I'd end up on the road on, the, with, on one of the crosses. You got to understand, that's like us funding ISIS right now. That, that is like us funding white supremacists so that they could walk into a school and shoot it up and there's nothing you could do about it. Can you imagine that? That is exactly what that's like. And so Matthew, the Bible tells me, is a tax collector. And th- this in and of itself is proof. That God often uses unworthy people to accomplish great things. Matthew is writing. He's contributing to the Christmas story by writing on it. And he was a sinner. Okay, that should give you joy. Because if Matthew can get written into the story, what is your story? What is your past? And some of y'all ain't got a past. What is the present for you? Well, what are you what is the baggage that you are bringing? What is the the, the sin that you are bringing? And I love Jesus because he can redeem your story because Matthew is able to write on the Christmas story. And I, I, again, I, I don't know. I don't want to run past this. I don't know what you're bringing in today. Some of you I know, you know, you come every week. You just like the music, but you really aren't submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, whatever the baggage is, you're not too far for God. He uses people like Matthew, and he uses them and redirects them. Others have counted you out, but God wants you. Uh, others have said you are too far, but God wants you. Uh, others have seen your story and said oh, that that person's just too dirty. She's too dirty, but God wants you. And how do I know that? Because Matthew is writing on the Christmas story today. And so he's giving voice to the unlikely people that God decides to use. I love it because God always chooses people that you and I would never choose. He chooses people that you and I would never be friends with. He chooses people that you and I walk by. And when he chooses them, he, he would say, I love God because he knows how to take a mess and make a trophy out of it. He knows how to take uh, our scraps and make a masterpiece out of it. And so it is Matthew that is writing this to us today. And so Matthew gives us a bunch of names. Some of them y'all know, some of y'all didn't. But the first name I just want to highlight for a second. The first name he gives us when he wants to give us a genealogy. Look at the uh, first verse. It says the book of the genealogy of who? Y'all can say that like y'all love them. Of who? Jesus of Jesus Christ. Christ it's been my experience that most people know facts about Jesus but don't really know the biblical Jesus most people know the Jesus that America has presented you but do you know the biblical Jesus most people know the Jesus that you see on the picture with the product in his hair and that ain't the biblical Jesus can I introduce you to Jesus Can y'all do me a favor? I don't care if you trusted him for 50 years. Act like you don't know him today. Here is the biblical Jesus that I want to introduce you to. That the Bible tells me in Matthew chapter 2 that when he is born, that the stars stood in attention at his birth. Astronomers call this a momentary alignment of the planets. Can you imagine that even the planets bowed down at the birth of Jesus Christ? He ain't got a throne, an earthly throne. He ain't got servants he ain't got money because he's born in a manger. But yet here you have Jesus and the stars aligning. Yeah, y'all just read the Christmas story. I'll be like, yeah, they follow the North Star. Do you know what that means that the North Star had to align in a certain way? This is the Jesus that the Bible presents to me. That This is the same Jesus that all of Scripture screams about. You've got to understand if you're starting a, a, a one year Bible plan in January, don't finish it until you get to Jesus. Because every verse screams his name. Every book screams his name. Every prophet screams his name. Moses wrote about Jesus. Mark wrote about Jesus. Paul wrote about Jesus. Obadiah wrote about Jesus. Haggai wrote about Jesus. Peter wrote about Jude. All of them wrote about Jesus. I, I love the Bible because it, it's so in concert. that There are no contradictions. People that say that really haven't sat and read it. There are no contradictions. You know, only the Bible, only the Bible can have 40 different authors, 66 books, 1189 chapters written on three different continents and three different languages and be in concert all about one person, Jesus Christ. Every single writer wrote about Jesus. Jesus says stuff like in John chapter five, verse 39, where he sits with the the Pharisees and he says to them, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about your boy. Jesus is like every single scripture screams about me. And that's the baby that is in the manger. Old Testament points us to this moment where he will show up. The New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John points us to his 33 years of life. And then the rest of the, the New Testament points back to this moment. He is the hero. You're not the hero. He is the hero of scripture. This is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the same Jesus that set in a storm. Can I introduce him to y'all? The same Jesus that sat in a storm with his disciples. And he calms a storm with three little words. Peace be still. The wind stops blowing. The rain stops. The wave stops. It is calm. And all the disciples look at each other and say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? This is the biblical Jesus Okay, let me get personal. This is the Jesus that sat up in heaven and was being worshipped by angels and they were casting their crowns at his throne. Can I preach Jesus today? And he looked down and he saw you and your sin and dysfunction. And instead of uh, condemning you, he decided that he would come down and wrap himself in flesh and live a life that you could never live. Die a death that you could never die. This is the Jesus of the Bible. The the Jesus of the Bible is a Jesus that in three days he beat the grave like it stole something from him. This This is the Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead as though he was taking a Sunday afternoon nap. That is the baby in the manger. Yeah, he might be cute and cuddly now and he might have came in as a quiet lamb, but he's coming back as a ferocious lion. He is the Jesus that tells me in Revelation 19 that one day he'll mount a horse with a white robe and the bottom of his robe will be dipped in blood and he'll have a tattoo on his thigh. Did you know Jesus had a tat? He'll have a tattoo on his thigh that literally says king of kings and lord of lords. This is the same Jesus that after he mounts the horse, you'll see myriads of angels all wearing white mounting horses and he'll come riding back first time he came he came quiet but the second time he comes he comes bible says with fire in his eyes and a sword like a tongue and he will chop down all of his enemies i don't know why you're not rejoicing because you think that the baby in the manger is cute and cuddly but the baby in the manger is a king he's a warrior he is my savior and so Matthew wants to give us a genealogy, but he starts, he says, I'm gonna list a bunch of names. But before I do so, I could I first got to tell you about the name that is above all names. Let me tell you about the Lord, Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ. And one of the things I love about Jesus is you got to understand something about Matthew's um, the way he uh, collects the names. You, you got to look at it because what we do is we'll read genealogies and rewrite through them. That was a bunch of names, but really how he groups the names says something very significant. Can you look at the text with me in verse 17? He uses a phrase that he says three times. I've taught you all if, if, if you see the same phrase showing up over and over again, it's called a what? Come on with the theology over there. It's a melodic line. If you see a a phrase that shows up over and over again, the writer isn't like he's not stuttering. He's not at a loss of words. The writer is trying to get you to focus on something. And so he says in verse 17, three times he says, so all the generations from Abraham Abraham to David, here it is, were 14 generations. Do you all see that? And then it says from David to the deportation or captivity to Babylon 14 generations. And then he says again a third time from deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generation. In other words, he groups the names in three sections of 14 generations each. The first 14 sections you can see from verse 2 to 6. It starts with Abraham and it ends with David. So at the end of the first 14 generations, a king is born. Stay with me. And then he lists another 14, a 14 generation group from 6B to verse 11. From David to exile is another 14. And then another 14 gets us to not an earthly king, but a king that saves us from our sin. So what you have here is king, Babylon, king. King, captivity, king. So what you see with the group in every ancient reader would have read this and knew without a doubt that Matthew was saying a king is being born. Every one of them, David is born at the end of 14, but the king is not born at the the next 14, they get in Babylon because of their own disobedience. And God says, I gotta redeem you from captivity, not earthly, but spiritually, so I gotta send another king. But Jesus is a unique king. See, I love the Christmas songs. The Christmas songs that sing about Jesus being a king. They understand Matthew's grouping right now. They, they understand how he lays it out. Songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Y'all know the lyrics there. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to a newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Here it is. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to a newborn king i love the christmas songs that sing about the kingship of jesus christ songs like little drummer boy y'all know that y'all want me singing come they told me y'all gotta do the michael jackson version though (laughs) a newborn king to see friday got me filling in my singing voice (laughs) our finest gifts we bring what's the last line to lay before the king, finish it off. Ba-ba-ba-bum. All right, that's enough. A king is born in Little Drummer Boy. So, songs like, Oh, come all ye faithful, where the lyrics say, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. You got to understand, you do not understand the Christmas story if you do not understand that a king was born. Not just anybody was born, but a king, a king of kings. And the uniqueness of Jesus kingship is so dope to me. Because whenever you see monarchies, earthly monarchies. See, that's the other thing about Jesus kingship. There's not another king after him. See, he don't die and his son take over. That, That ain't how it works. He's the first and the last king. He's the only king and he's so unique because most earthly kings require their servants to die for them. Most kings on the earth, that's why they have uh, the cupbearers that drink the, 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 the drink for him and, and they would eat the food for them to make sure that it's not poison. But Jesus is the only king that reverses that. And he sits in the garden and says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And not nevertheless, not your will, but my will. Jesus drank the cup of death, which was poisoned by us. It was your sin in the cup that Jesus decided to drink. And I love Jesus because he doesn't say to the servant, you drink it first. He says, I'm going to drink it for him. And when I drink it for him, I'm going to get up on a cross and absorb the full wrath of God. You should be shouting right now that you ain't got to absorb the wrath of God. He's a king. I know he doesn't look like a king in the manger, but he is. You know how I know he's a king? Chapter two, when the wise men get there, they don't only bring gifts. They see him and drop to their knees. They drop to their knees because they know that they're in the presence of their savior, the king. And so you got to understand that the Christmas story and the groupings of how he lists the names here, having 14 generations and 14 and 14 really is pointing us to the fact that this is a king that is being born right now. And what I love is when he lists out the royal family and the lineage of Jesus, there are some names in here that shouldn't be in the line of a king. There are some see we read these names and just think names, but these are stories These names are people these names have passed these names have dysfunctions These names have have, have brought some shame to the royal family if you will see i'm watching crown right now I, I, the third season a little weird, but If, if you watch crown you'll you you'll see something You'll notice something that they try to hide all of the skeletons in the royal family When when stuff breaks out, they hide it and and they don't want anybody to know because it brings shame on the family. But Jesus is so dope. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way. Christ is the kind of king who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he puts them in his family tree. Jesus is so dope because even though the the family has issues, verse 21 says he came to save his people from their sins, including his family. Do you know the names? See, you might not know all of them. But there are some names that are listed here, and I can't deal with all of them in a few minutes. But there are some names listed in here that earthly kings would have been ashamed of. David is listed as one of the people. See, I know you're like, oh, David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, but he was a liar. He was an adulterer. He he, he was he was he was a thief. He stole somebody else's wife and got him killed. And he got written into the Christmas story with baggage. With issues, with dysfunction, with treachery, with theft, with lying. He got written right on in to the Christmas story. Rahab is mentioned. See, you don't know Rahab's story. See, Rahab is introduced as being one on the corner at Jericho, tricking out. She's a prostitute. And a prostitute gets written into the story of my king. That there are people that are in here such as Tamar. Tamar wasn't a prostitute, but if you read Genesis 38, she dressed up like one and she seduced her father, Judah, to sleep with her. And she got written into the story of the lineage of a king. Look at the names that are in the Ruth is in here. And I know you're like, uh-uh, don't you mess with Ruth. <laughs> Ruth didn't have no sexual scandals. But do you know that Ruth is a Moabite? Moabites literally they, they got birthed by incest lot slept with his oldest daughter and then you got the Moabites not only that but they were a very pagan people they would often offer up human sacrifices but she even with the family history the way she does gets written into the story of Jesus Christ if you don't know Jesus do you know you can get written into the story jesus christ i don't care what baggage you came in here with i don't care what nobody else knows i don't care about the history you have and the present you have you can get written into the story because if matthew got a shot if david got a shot if rahab gets a shot if ruth gets a shot if abraham gets a shot i can get written on in this is why it's important to understand your dysfunction and your sin It's important for you to understand that because then you'll appreciate the fact that a king does come to save you. You'll you'll appreciate it different to to whom uh, much uh, is given, much is required. You should you should give. This is why. See, y'all can't turn up on Fridays and then we come here going, a newborn king is born. Y'all was wobbling on Friday and we I mean, we was doing the cha 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 and 90s music. But we can't do all of that and not worship a king by being expressive. Your king saves you. And so you can get written on in. To the story how do I know because verse 21 says she will bear a son you will call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins all of the scandals all of the prostitutes and the mistresses even amongst that list there's a messiah in there this messiah comes to save us from our sins your sin." Like if Jesus came to save us from our sin, can we agree just for a second? Let's agree that you can't save yourself. Can we stop this? I'm going to do my best and I'm going to do good and my good is going to outweigh my bad. Do you know how holy God is? The bad has to be judged, period. And so that one day you messed up has to be judged. But I don't have to be judged because of my mess ups. I can now be judged based on my perfection, not my merit, but Jesus' merit. He has done the work for you. You're trying to do work that you can't really do. You're trying to lift weights. That's too heavy for you. You're trying to bear a burden that is unbearable. But Jesus does it in six hours. That, that cute, cuddly baby 33 years from now goes to a cross. And if I read verse 21 right, he saves his people from their sins. See, the, the, the main reason why people don't come to Jesus is because they feel too far. They, they just feel too dirty. I feel like I messed up too much. I was listening to, a, to this YouTube um, pastor, and it was a sermon. I think it was like from the, from the 90s. It could be early 2000s. And in the sermon, he was preaching to a youth group, and he wanted to teach them about the importance of abstinence. And so he pulls up a painting on the stage. It's a beautiful painting. And as he's preaching, he says, every partner that you have is a nail." And he takes a nail and he slaps it into the painting. And as he's preaching, he keeps going and he takes another nail and slaps it. At the end of the sermon, his whole painting was filled up with nails. And he said, you know what, though? If you meet Jesus, he can restore you. And so he pulls out all of the nails. But here's where he went wrong. The painting had holes all in it. And he said, look at this painting. This painting was beautiful. And because you've given your body out, now you look like this and he says this is how he ends who would want this painting and when i heard it i read verse 21 i said jesus wants the painting yeah Yeah, the painting got nails in it but he redeems us with nails yeah the painting got holes in it but he covers the holes by dying for your sin jesus wants the painting And you might be in here right now and you feel like you got no no nails in you and you feel like you got holes in you and you feel like you are unloved and unwanted. And I promise you that he loves you and he wants you. Let me say it this way. He doesn't want the future you that prays. He doesn't want the future you that got up at six o'clock in the morning and read your Bible. He wants the messy you now. How do I know that? Because Romans chapter five, verse eight, it said this way. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died to redeem the story and then write you on in. Who is it in this room that came in and you don't know Jesus. Here's what I can promise you. I prayed for you all week. And I got up early this morning to make sure that I prayed for you because you don't realize that your name isn't in the story, but you can be. Your name can be written to the Lamb's book of life. And once either I love being written into the Lamb's book of life, because once your name is in it, there is no erasing it. There is no whiteout that can blot over it. If he redeems your story, you're redeemed eternally or else. See, it's really not. It's really not uh, eternal salvation. If you can lose it, it's temporary. But if God saves you, like I said, when I was praying earlier, the miracle is that you are still saved. Who is it in this room that needs that story redeemed? Who is it in this room that needs to be written into the Christmas story of Jesus Christ? If sinners show up in the family, you can make it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, we ain't going to do this long. If that is you, if you if you know that you haven't really given your life to Jesus, maybe you've professed faith, but you aren't living to his kingship. You're not living to his lordship. If you would say, I, I'm not written into the story right now, but I, I want to be. If that's you, today you want to give. You want to make the decision that despite all of my bad decisions, I am loved and wanted. Therefore, I got to give my life to this king. If that's you, do me a favor. Just raise your hand. Nothing spooky. I see that hand. I see those hands. Nothing deep. I see those hands. Hear me. Your name is being written in with a decision. Nothing deep, ain't nothing spooky about this. It's a miracle called salvation. See those hands. You are who I prayed for this morning. Pray that God would do something. Listen, the altar doesn't save you. I want to be clear. The altar does not save you, but I just simply want to pray with you. If your hand is up, if you raised your hand and said, I want to give my life to this Jesus, this king that was born, this king that died for me, this king that rose for me and this king that is coming back. Do me a favor. Just come to the altar. Listen, don't be embarrassed. We all had to come. We all had to give our life to Jesus at some point. If that's you, if you raised your hand, please come down so I can just simply pray with you. I see those tears. Come on down. y'all. All all of heaven is rejoicing and y'all are quiet. All of heaven is rejoicing. All of heaven is rejoicing. I see you. God sees you. God knows the story. I'm going to let it go, but there's somebody else. You've gone through life living on your own terms. You've been your own God. Verse 21 is clear. That Jesus and Jesus alone saves us from our sin. You can't do it yourself. I promise you, you're running against the wind. You are beating the air. You're hitting nothing. But Jesus kills the story and writes you in it. Those of you who came to the altar, listen, it takes boldness. Thank you for coming. I see those tears. Thank you for coming. I just want to be clear that we're not a church that believes that the altar saves you. Sometimes it can be an emotional response to the altar. It's not that, listen, you could sit in your seat and still be saved. But the fact that you came is showing boldness. It's saying, God, I want to acknowledge you before people. Because Jesus says stuff like, I'll acknowledge you before my father. And so we just simply want to pray. Can I get four young ladies to just come up here and stand with them? Four young ladies. Come on, y'all Come quick. Four young ladies, come up here and stand with them. This is such a powerful moment. Father, we thank you for each and every person that's here that came up to this altar and realized, oh God, that they need a king. That they need a savior. Father, help these young ladies to realize they're not what they did. They're not their past. Because you 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 do crazy stuff like save wretches like us everyone in this room has a story everybody on this altar has a story but father you specialize in making dead things alive you specialize in opening blinded eyes and so father i thank you for each and every person here. lord i pray that these young ladies that are on this altar millions will be saved because of them Father, I pray that you would set them on fire for you. Pray that they would be able to tell their testimony and and, and share the gospel with their family members and their friends. Father, I thank you that they're not going into 2019 the way they left 2019, but they're going into 2020, oh God, with a new story. And so, Father, we thank you, oh God. We thank you, as we said in the beginning, that you pursued them. They didn't come to you. You came to them. And the reason they're able to respond to you is because you came to them in their seat. So, Father, we thank you for salvation. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what a king. Oh, what a master. Oh, what a Lord like Jesus. Father, we've searched and we've tried to find people that can match you. They all fall short. Every relationship fell short. Every friendship falls short. Every merit of our own falls short. But there's one that all of heaven said did a perfect work and is now getting a standing ovation named Jesus. And so, Father, help them to feel and know that they are loved. They are wanted and that their story has been redeemed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for all of these young ladies? Come on, y'all hug on them and love them. Come on, y'all celebrate. It takes boldness.